Hey everybody, so before the podcast, I wanted to say thank you really quick to all of the monthly supporters and patrons of Great Light Studios. I continue to get emails and messages all the time from people whose lives are really being impacted by the videos and content being produced, both through the Great Light Studios YouTube channel and the Answering the WMSCOG channel. It really is because of all of you who continue to support on a monthly basis that I'm able to keep doing any of this at all. And so I know that all the people reaching out to me who are telling me about how their lives are being impacted, how they're being helped, how their family members are being helped by the videos, I know that all that is in large part due to you uh, and your willingness to continue supporting me. So I truly am so very thankful to all of you. I have a lot of goals for the future and I feel like there is a lot left to do, particularly in the area of helping people who have been negatively impacted by cult groups like the WMSCOG. I know I've made a lot of videos over the last few years on this specific topic of the World Mission Society Church of God, but there's just a lot left I feel like that needs to be done. Many more videos that need to be made, you know, there's just so many prophecies and doctrines and just complicated and convoluted teachings that groups like the WMSCOG have, and I, I really want to be able to respond to as many of those, if not all of those, if I can. Um, and that kind of brings me to another goal of mine, which is to get a website up. I really would love to get a WMSCOG-focused website created where I can begin to kind of create a library of all the videos and resources I'm making so that people who are coming to the internet looking for answers, who have, you know, maybe a hang-up with a specific doctrine of the church or a specific prophecy, that they can go to this website, they can search that and, and find some answers. I do think many people don't realize that on top of all just the amount of time that goes into producing this content, doing the editing, creating the thumbnail images, doing the titling, writing descriptions, and I mean there's just so many things that go into just the time it takes to make this content, but then there's the financial things behind it as well. I'm having to pay for music licensing, I'm having to pay for you know monthly subscription to have this podcast running. And so there's just so many things like that, that all you guys who are supporting me, you, you know, your money helps go toward funding that sort of stuff. And so I'm just putting this out here for those of you who may not know that there really is a need. I do need your help to continue to do this. And there are specific things like the website that um, would be great to be able to, to get up and running. Um, but I just, I'm kind of in need of a little bit more support to be able to afford to, to do that, to both get the website built and then to pay for the monthly fees that go along with, with a website. So again, thank you to everybody who's supporting me. I do want to continue to do this. And again, I feel like there's so much more that needs to be done and I can't do it without any of you. So thank you. If you want to support me, if you want to join the monthly patron team, I will put uh, links in the podcast uh, description or the show notes where you can find information about how you can do that. Um, or, you know, more simply, if you just want to go online, if you go to www.patreon.com slash greatlightstudios, then you can go right there and become a monthly supporter. So thank you for listening to all this, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I remember being waiting outside of the room with a deacon. Um, he was walking me down the aisle and I remember like 
shaking, holding on to him and being like, if I just run out the back, what will happen? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you want to move on past this part, it's okay. No, it's okay. I'm just... Um, I wanted to run out the back door. Um, and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like, will they kick me out? He was like, yeah, you'll get kicked out if you just run away right now and ruin this. And I was like, okay. And then I just sucked it up and walked in. Well, Corey, thank you so much for being here today with us. Um, and Anthony, welcome back. This is uh, second time co-hosting. Is that right? Yeah, second time. Second time. Okay. So I told him after the last one, I feel like um, it was very helpful uh, having somebody who you know has years of experience in the WMS. It just adds a whole other level of perspective and questions that I would never think to ask. So um, yeah, I appreciate you being here as well, Anthony, as always. Uh, but Corey has, I guess I would say, uh, everybody has a unique experience, of course, as a former member, but uh, that's definitely the case with Corey. And, and she's going to share some different um, stories and experiences she had that are, you know, just as always are going to be very revealing about the nature of the World Mission Society Church of God. Uh, <clears throat> this conversation is going to entail all of us sharing our personal opinions. Uh, Corey is going to be sharing her personal experiences as a former member. Um, and I would just ask that those of you watching, whether you're a current member uh, or a former member, of course, we hope this, this is helpful to you as former members, but if you're a current member that you would just, you know, do what you can do, lay aside the biases, the false narrative that you've probably been given that Corey and anybody else like Anthony, even anybody that's left the church is, you know, following Satan and possessed by the devil. Just give her, give her a fair hearing. There's a proverb that talks about how a, a fool speaks before listening. Uh, but the one who is wise will actually listen before making a judgment, making um, a, a, you know, uh, an assumption about a person and their character. So give Corey a chance to share her story. Uh, so Corey has an Instagram page called WMSCOG Spotlight. Is that correct? WMSCOG in the spot. Well, yeah, the, the, t the handle is WMSCOG Spotlight. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. So the actual title that is in the spotlight, is that yes. the... WMSCOG okay. Spotlight. There's a website too that I'm working on. Um, awesome. So it's kind of like a little platform that I just created recently. Okay. So I would encourage you, if you're on Instagram, go over there and subscribe. I, she's kind of maybe just give a brief summary of like, what's your, what's your goal with this? What are you trying to do with so, this page? So at first I kind of like was doing it for my own kind of therapeutic writing to put my own story out there because I found that it was really helpful for me to process it in that way. Like with writing, I felt like when I could write it and talk about it, then I could internalize it and process it. But I realized a lot of other people were also benefiting. Um, and I wanted to create a platform that had like a, 
really transparent look like I didn't want I'm not hiding I don't want to I'm not creating any kind of false rumors I'm just here to share my my experience and give other people a platform to do the same thing um, so I even have a lot of content ideas like people who might be inspired to share little things on their own but maybe they don't want to put their face or their name or their voice out there yet like I'll I want to do I'll do it for you like I'll I'm making content to be able to have other people, you know, have a resource to look at that's sometimes I go like when I first went online and went around, yours was one of the first channels that I, actually my first video ever um, not given by the church was on um, answering the WMSCOG. And uh, I really liked it because it some people are a little bit they have different agendas and <laughs> it can get a little weird. And <laughs> so I wanted it to be like a really, a really trusted source that this is coming from somebody who's a former member and to make it feel like a safer space, not just scary, like <laughs> because yeah. there's so much stigma around online. So yes, for them. sure. Yeah. Well, that's mm -hmm. great. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've read through a couple of the posts and they're, very well written and and insightful and Corey will get into some of her experiences but there's some things that I know she's not alone in in just the terrible ways that she was treated at different times I know that there's you know the terrible thing is that there's so many other people out there right now experiencing that or or worse or at different levels mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, I appreciate another voice out there on Instagram uh, speaking out, sharing your story. So I thought you, your last post was sort of a um, an introduction of yourself, just to kind of give people a snapshot of mm -hmm. who you are, what your experiences in the group was. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun if you just read that little paragraph to kind of introduce who you are, what your experience was in the WMS. And then I'm going to kind of hand it over to Anthony to open it up with with the first uh, couple questions about your story. Okay, great. All right, so it's the first post that's uh, uh, pinned to the top of my page, um, and it's the second paragraph is my name is Corey. I was baptized into the church in Maryland back in 2010, and I attended that location until 2015. In November of 2015, I moved to New Windsor, New York, and spent the rest of my time there, minus a brief attendance at the church in Belleville, New Jersey, during my last few months in. I did not hold an official title in the church, but very much carried out roles and functions as someone who did. I was involved in high-level projects or missions, working closely with the head pastor of the U.S., Daniel Lee. I was on the tech team, which is what we call the multimedia department that's in charge of media production, including website writing, social media, videography, photography, graphics, etc. I was involved in performing arts and large scale events, um, planning them and was employed at the We Love You Foundation, which is one of the cult's main nonprofit front groups. I have been to Korea twice and I've met Jangil Ja, or as the church calls her, God the Mother, as well as Kim Ju Chol, who is the general pastor. I experienced an arranged marriage, public rebuking, public body shaming, verbal and psychological abuse and shunning. I have witnessed child abuse, open homophobia, ableism and racism by leadership. I decided to create this platform to speak out about what happened to me and to offer others a safe space to do the same. And I intend to share as much as I can to offer more insight into this group. I will not be holding back, not the good, not the bad and not the ugly. 
If you have any mm -hmm. questions, feedback, or ideas, please feel free to message me or comment below. <laughs> there you go. So go give her Instagram a, a follow. And I, I liked how you added in. You're not holding back. And it's not only the, the bad and the ugly you're not going to hold back, but not the the good either, the, yeah. the good experiences. And, and I hope that's what helps people to see that you're not, you honestly just want to <clears throat> let people know what it was that you experienced. And mm -hmm. then they can do with that information what they want. Um, exactly. But uh, yeah. So Anthony, All take right. it away, my man. Well, Corey, again, I appreciate uh, being able to talk to you, hear your story. I know that we've uh, we've chatted before a little bit, um, but I think this is a great opportunity for your story because, you know, it's like Jordan was saying before, everyone has a unique story, but also in a lot of ways, everybody has the same story. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where were you just before being introduced to the church? What was life looking like? Okay, uh, we're going way back. <laughs> we're, going, we're going way back from the start. Way back. Early no, way 2010. Back. Yeah, long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. I'm kidding. Well, what, <laughs> what kind of phone did you have at the time? Was the iPhone out? Did you? <laughs> no, I did not have an iPhone, actually. It was the, so 13 years ago. Um, yeah. Actually, a little bit longer. <laughs> Just yeah. to, to give context of what the world looked like yeah, all the way yeah, back exactly. then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I was actually 19 when I first was introduced to the church. Um, I was living in Baltimore, Maryland, and um, I was going to a barbering school, which is like hair school. And uh, life, <laughs> I was going through a really, really rough time. Um, there had been a couple things that had happened to me leading up to this point that caused me to be in a really dark place kind of mentally. I was struggling with my mental health. I had growing up my dream was to be a police officer and then go to law school eventually like i had all these ambitions and dreams and something happened that made me kind of veer off of that so i was like unsure and uh a little bit lost in like a sense of what i wanted to do in life and i was just really young hadn't still living at home uh i randomly went to this hair school i didn't even like doing it <laughs> Like, I'm not really like, a, I don't like touching people that close. So it was <laughs> a random thing that I did because I just wanted to I have felt like I was like, I got to do something. Like, I can't just shut myself away in a miserable hole. Like I was just really, I was, I would, um, I'm getting a little candid here, but I was flirting back and forth with some, sorry, with a little bit of like suicidal thoughts. Um, so it was a really dark place. Um, and uh it was kind of, it ended up being kind of a perfect storm for me <laughs> to mm. enter the church because um, one of my branch, or for those who are just watching, that's the term that people use in the church. Like if somebody invites you, that person that invited you is your branch, and then you are their fruit after you're baptized. So my branch was a deaconess in the church, still is. She's a church leader now. I think Virginia Beach, that doesn't matter. I'm veering off. <laughs> But um, she was a teacher there and she was always really, really happy to the point of, I can, I'll say this because I used to say this to her directly. I was like, you were just annoying about it. <laughs> like <laughs> so happy. And um, it came across as a little bit ingenuine. And I used to kind of even say that to some friends there, like, like everybody knew her as she was this church person and she always invited people and I knew about her and uh, she eventually 
invited me. I stood her up a couple times because I, I was very clear from the beginning, like, I'm not really interested in going to church. I do not want to join a church. Like, I just like what you're telling me. I just like to hear what you're saying. I didn't really have a foundation in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but she made the Bible sound like this box of secrets, like, <laughs> like, that only some people can know the answer. Like there's these secrets and prophecy in the last days. And it was intriguing to me. She was really good at making it sound really, really enticing to listen to. I see like sci-fi based on your background. So I could see the appeal for this. (laughs) Yeah. I love, I I also really love stories and storytelling. And I was always fascinated by the Bible in general. Like, I didn't understand how people could base their faith off of a book that was written by so many different people. And so eventually I went after um, much prodding. It was probably like three or four months before I actually went. And it was June of 2010. And I went, didn't know it was a house church. She was a little bit unclear about what I was getting involved in. All right, deception began the introduction. Go on. Yeah, it was pretty. I look back at it now and I'm like, yo, that was shady. Like, you didn't tell me. I, you said we were going to a church. And then we were dri- driving there in my car. And she's like, slow down. It's up here on the left. I'm like, where? That's a house. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we. And I was like, okay. We get there. There's like no furniture. There's nothing in there. Just like a blank house. And it was, I was like, does somebody live here? Like, it was just so weird. The whole the whole thing was very strange. There was no furniture. There was all these pictures on the walls of this Korean woman. And, um, which was also weird because I expected it to be, like, furnished and, like, like uh, lived in, you know? Yeah, or having pictures of their family who lives there. Yeah. Yeah, but it was not. <laughs> so I remember even asking her, like, who is that? Like, what is, what's, what's with the lady? And she was like, Oh, that's uh, one of the leaders of the church. And I was like, okay, you know, Again, like deception. Go on. Yep, yep. Did not mention that she was God the Mother. That that's who she believed as, like God incarnate. Um, but you know, there we go. Uh, <laughs> we get in there. I. Um, it was just her and one Korean girl, really young, came out. She barely spoke a few words in English. And I later on learned that she'd only been in the country for like 20 days or something. Um, And they put her to study with me, which was looking back. I'm like, why didn't, why didn't my branch just study with me? She was American, but um, I listened to her and she was teaching me about the Sabbath. All I knew was that they obviously worship on Saturdays. And, but right off the bat, that really did intrigue me because they come at you with something that seems so factual, you know? Mm -hmm. You can't refute the fact that Saturday is the seventh day. Now you can get into ba- to debates about whether or not you should keep it as a Christian and all that other stuff, but you can't say that seven does not add up to Saturday. So you're automatically like, right. Whoa, that's really cool. Nobody knows this fact. I never looked at a calendar, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like so it, it, uh, it, I was baptized that night, <laughs> basically. Um, also it was a, it was a third day service. Um, which I didn't know was it was a service day. So that was another thing that she didn't really <laughs> disclose to me. It was kind of just like keeping me there as long as possible. But next was, thing you know, you have a veil on your head. and <laughs> Yep. Next thing I know, there's a veil. Then I saw An Sang Hong in the book. And I was like, what's that? Like, I noticed these things right away. 
And I'm like, what is, who, what is that? What does that word mean? And she was just like, oh, that's just a word for Jesus. And I was like, okay. Like, I just assumed that it just meant Jesus in Korean. Like, I don't, why would she lie about it? Yeah, they told me it meant Holy Spirit in Korean. Oh, okay. I just was told that yeah. that was like the word for Jesus in Korean. And I was like, all right. So I did not know. I had no idea. They didn't ask me if I wanted to be baptized in his name. They didn't ask me if I was okay with it. They didn't tell me that they believed in him as God. I had no idea until I studied about it. It was back in those times. Nowadays, they're a little bit more upfront. I think because of all of the uh, negative feedback that they're getting, <laughs> which means it's working. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, like, that, at least yeah. that's one thing that that's why I want to do this because they are a very reactive cult. They, mm -hmm. whether or not they want to, they'll watch this now and be like, no, we don't care what you say. You, you do because you start changing things little by little <laughs> because people say stuff. Like if yeah. you don't want to be called a cult, don't do culty things. <laughs> like yeah. let people have, an informed decision before they decide to like give their lives to this. But I did not know that he was God until I studied how, when, and where it was back in the time that day. Yeah, was no, no, me, me as well. Uh, mm -hmm. I know that they have altered things since then. Yeah. I did want to circle back to the beginning of your story a little bit because what you were saying, where you were in your headspace, you know, you are like the perfect target for a cult group to come after. Like mm -hmm. you were, primed and ready for them to indoctrinate you and mm -hmm. absorb you into like this community where they provide what seems to be all the answers and all the mm -hmm. comfort and all the love that you could look for. So at that time, you know, looking and hearing your story, it was, you were the perfect target for them to come and pick up and bring into the church. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it just sounds like they were not being upfront with their teachings to you. No. They were, they were allowing you to see just the benign outside layer of their teachings and then introduced you slowly layer by layer into it. So that's also a very big method of cult groups, not to show you their inner teachings, but to give you little by little. So it sounds like in your indoctrination process, they're being very methodical about the information that they could give you. Mm -hmm. Like would she come to a house well, let's not tell her it's a house. Mm -hmm. You know, will she believe in the name on Sung Home? Well, let's not tell her that. Mm -hmm. You know, let's just say it means mm -hmm. Jesus. Who's this lady? Oh, she's just a leader. Mm -hmm. You know, all these things are very deceptive mm -hmm. bringing you in. Mm -hmm. So once you started to study, you're intrigued. Like, the, you know, finally you're there, you're studying. What's the next step? Did they baptize you the first day? Yes. They're, um, I'm no, I know you guys have talked about it before, but that study, be baptized immediately. They push that a lot. Um, you might get hit by a bus when you leave. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No. You don't know what's going to happen when you leave. What if you say no and then you die? And uh, I was, and another thing um, that kind of will add to that topic about my headspace and everything, as from a very young age, I had a very unhealthy fear of death and dying, and I was afraid of it. And like, to the point where like birthdays were just not fun for me because it just meant another year closer to death. Like I was, I was a very morbid child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be like, mom, don't get older. Like the thought of my mom, like I just, it, it, it was a fear of my, like a very real phobia almost. And then my first day there, my first service after I studied Sabbath that night, the service was forgiveness of sins. 
And of course, there's this guy standing there telling me that there's a, there's a, you know, this solution to death, like you don't have to die and eternal life and showing me these verses. And it was just, I was in, I was amazed. I, that to me, what, what drew me into the church and kept me there was the teachings because I had no foundation in Christianity. I did not know. I thought that they, why would I go to a church and expect them to be intentionally trying to manipulate me? Like, why would I, why would I stop, you know? Yeah. You you don't, you don't think of those things. No, (laughs) that's kind of like, I'll go under it. Well, I was just going to say, I think it was maybe in one of your posts that kind of the way you, the language you use and the way you worded it, which, which I know others have as well, but how they, they took like this sincere, genuine desire for God and the Bible that you were searching for, and they weaponized it against you, which Mm -hmm. I think is such a pointed language to use to kind of really get at the heart of what, what is happening here, Mm -hmm. uh, that this is. It's just this is abusive sort of, uh, uh, you know, relating to how they they take advantage of people. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that's that's exactly what it is. They took mm-hmm. and they do they're again, they're doing that for so many other people. This is and that, that's one of the things that continues, as I probably say in every video, I'm probably a, <laughs> a, a, a bit repetitive with this, but that just every time that gets me, I read that. I remember reading that phrase the other day. And when I read that, it just, oh, it just makes me angry inside because that's what they're doing to people, people mm-hmm. that want that's just, what it feels- oh, the Bible. There's something meaningful here. I want to find meaning in my life. Mm-hmm. I want to find something, you know, I want to relate to God. I want to, I want to find peace in prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, oh, look at that. Look at that mm-hmm. person. And rather than going in and like getting underneath that person, serving them, helping them, uh, a sa- self-sacrificial love of, of of genuinely wanting the better for that person, they see that person as an opportunity to to you know get something for themselves, in make money case. ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so. You you get baptized mm-hmm. at the church, and then how long is it into your process that you feel from I'm learning about this to I can't live without this? Ooh, pretty early on, um, because they really I I see the WMSCOG as like a very well oiled machine, very well oiled. They know it's like they have a plan for every step of your process until you get too old like older in faith and then you're no longer like producing then they just kind of cast you off to the side they haven't figured that part out yet that's my opinion Mm. but (laughs) but from the new from when you first join until you become what they want like a gospel worker they have it covered so like even when i first started and i was so excited like i was i really loved the bible i was really into this the teachings and they prep you like they say like you know when you go and tell your family they're going to persecute you they're going to disagree they're going to speak back but that's a sign that you're following christ the right way because jesus was didn't get welcomed jesus was persecuted look at him he was crucified even the disciples after him peter was crucified upside down like they had you know so when you go to your family you have to know that 
this is happening for a reason. So it, they call it like a spiritual vaccine back in the day, you know, like where you, mm-hmm. va- you vaccinate the, the new fruit to let them know that they're going to get persecuted, but that's a blessing. So you have like this, you get this weird, like pumped up feeling like, oh, I'm going to go home and I tell my mom and she's not going to like it, but I'm ready, you know, <laughs> like, yes. like kind of weird backwards way of thinking, like actually just because someone disagrees with you doesn't necessarily mean you're right. They like take it and flip it. Like, but they prepare you mentally. Yeah. Like, look at all these other prophecies we've told you about. This is a prophecy too, and you Mm -hmm. will be persecuted. And anyone who has an opinion that goes against us is a slanderer and they're attacking Mm -hmm. you and your faith and your salvation. And they're working for Satan because it's under the control of Satan. Yeah. Everyone is to the WMSCOG. If you are not in it, you are a demon. Like everybody is a demon possessed. And as somebody who like has had a, legitimate phobia of fear of death and demons even like spiritual world stuff because that really freaked me out as a kid that was a fear was a really big part of it fear drove me to be like oh my god i have to be here also you know just i really had a really strong faith in everything that they taught me because i did not think for one second that a deacon he was a deacon at the time now he's a pastor is john casas i did not think that there would be any reason for him to not tell me the truth. You know, like you're a Mm -hmm. deacon in a church. Like, I'm going to believe you. I trust you. Um, So it was pretty early on that I I got really sucked into it pretty fast. I would say within like a couple, like a month maybe. So yeah, within, within a month already, Mm -hmm. you're, you're living your life for this thinking that you found Mm -hmm. the answer to everything. Yeah. And, And Go on. Sorry. And back then in 2010, it was like really extra that father was coming. Like, <laughs> I was about to ask you about the, um, the 2012 mm-hmm. predictions and yes. what point did you start to hear that welcome, you came at the perfect time because it, everything's about the end. Like, Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> it was like immediately, like when I studied the seal of God, I had a whole panic attack because I was like, oh my God, this is happening like in my lifetime. And they're like, he could come tomorrow. He could come tonight. Like it was like that. And uh, and this was 2010. And then, you know, they talked about 2012 a lot. There was this time in 2010 where Jang Gil Ja, like I think it was 2010 or 2011 where she was like, father's coming, prepare. And we all literally in the basement of the house church, we had had these big like utility shelves and we started stocking it with water and like MREs. Is that what they're called? Like the, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yes. Like the military rations. Yeah. Every Friday I would come with my trunk filled with those one gallon waters, like as many as I could afford and fit in there and like bring them to the church. And I actually watched a video where you said later on in Maryland, you found this like secret stockpile. And I'm like, that was probably my water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, I remember they had they had a whole floor of the the, the temple in Glen Burnie. Yeah, and it was it had a whole bunch of like giant bottles of water and food, and like they were doing construction, they threw all that stuff right into the garbage, and it was there from I guess your days over there. Probably because I was serious. I was like, God is coming. Like we're gonna be. And I remember even one time we they had a, like there was a weird thing going around where everybody wore these lanyards in this was Maryland anyway the house church okay. I don't know about anybody else 
but everybody had these lanyards because back in the day your phone could like you know how you have those little julie things they would carry their yeah they would carry their phones on their lanyard so that they wouldn't miss the call because it was like this whole thing of like if you miss the call we're only gonna call once you have to flee to zion and people were freaking out panicking and i was one of them i bought a lanyard so did my branch she was the one that told me about it it was just so when so later on when they were like we never said 2012 i remember in my brain i was like like you have this this moment where you're like, wait a yes, yes you did, <laughs> you really did, and you did for a long ass time. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> you did for a yeah. long time. <laughs> That's like exactly like my first experience with gaslighting too. I was like, this yeah. is well, I'm sure it's not the first, but probably like yes. the biggest. <laughs> the biggest where I was where I finally noticed it because I was like, yeah. All right. Anyway, we'll just. You just yeah, kinda- I mean, and then do you remember the the year of inspection after that, where it was um, okay? Now that the building's complete, now that the spiritual temple's complete, now we got to make sure it's up to code. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then and, the year and, of jubilee. And here it is a decade later, and they're still like, uh, <laughs> is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It, I mean, that was completely ridiculous, and it, it's just like I kept on feeling like if I just was patient they would give mm-hmm. me the answers. Like they'd explain so. it at some point what happened, mm-hmm. but nothing happened. No, no, There's no explanation. Nothing. I mean, did you hear anything at all? No, no, nothing. They just, they, they, they're really, well, they are really good at gaslighting, I guess, um, because they do it to the point where you're like, maybe they didn't say that. Like you really start second guessing for a little bit like maybe they maybe i misunderstood or maybe because the other thing the other psychology that they use is like everything is your fault you are the sinner you are wrong you are you know like so even if i wanted to stop and question like wait a minute you did say 2010 or 20 2012 they'd be like who are you like you know the, the like how are you to talk back to god you know why are you questioning like you're a sinner so you start internalizing that too like maybe i made a mistake maybe i misinterpreted what they were saying maybe it was me you start mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or you should be thankful that god gave you extra time if that he came in 2012 would you have been ready mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's yeah they, they know amazing. exactly what to say so yeah it's just it's it's all of these barriers that they set up around your family, mm-hmm. uh, around all these different areas to basically block you as like these, these, uh, you know, gateways that keep you from moving into critical thinking. Like as mm-hmm. you're going to be pushed, they know you're going to be pushed and prodded into thinking and questioning. But if they set up strategically all these things in place uh, beforehand preemptively, then when those things come, you yourself are going to be your own, you know, gatekeeper, really. They make you your own gatekeeper. They make your fears and your, your own, uh, you know, lack of self-worth. You know, you're talking about they make you think that you're just this terrible sinner. And so you even question your own sanity and your own ability to, to comprehend the facts in front of you. And so mm-hmm. it just all these things set up to keep you from thinking critically from, from, you know, and and to just continue to, uh, in that cycle of sweeping things, uh, underneath the rug rather than really diving into them and and searching them out. Right. Exactly. 
So I, I did want to bring up, Corey, this next part. Um, I know that in the church, a lot of people have the accusation of an arranged marriage. Um, I know that you have some uh, story to tell about uh, your marriage that you had experienced while in this church. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could kind of go over the details of what happened, how were you introduced to your husband? What was the story behind that? And then also um, when the church tried to fight the accusations of uh, arranged marriages, your experience with that as well, if you could go over those. Um... Sure. Um, this is a memory I try to block out, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll talk about it. That's <laughs> okay. Rip it um, open. Come on. Yeah, it open. <laughs> Band-Aid. So I was in an arranged marriage. Um, it, I was married to a member in 2013. We remained married for about four years. Um, he went to the church in Maryland, but we did not ever really speak to each other. Um, I mean, I knew who he was because he went to the church there, but I never spoke to him, like had a conversation. Um, he was not, <laughs> I wasn't somebody that I would have ever um, ever spoken to in any sense. <laughs> um, and people who know me and people who know who it is, they will agree with the same thing because it just was not, I would never have ever agreed to something like that. Um, but we were introduced, it was by John Casas, who's a pastor in the church now. Um, he, it was, I look back at it now and it was a very, it's now it's obvious to me because I was in this time of my life where I was so broke. Like I was, I was working three jobs. I was struggling financially. I was barely staying afloat. I had lost my car. I had purchased a scooter. <laughs> um, Did trying the church have anything to do with, with that? Or was this just oh, yeah. kind of like where your life was based on skill sets? No, 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 no. It was, it was absolutely like the demands of the church. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say that they didn't let me get a job, but it was because of all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The restrictions, everything. Um, and the fact that I just, you give up everything. And I was so young when I first joined that I didn't even have a sense of like how to be an adult. (laughs) The lanyards. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you know, you know, you're taught like father's coming. There's no sense. And, you know, we even had, we even had like services about um, not having a safety net. Like that was a sin, you know, like, <laughs> like yeah. if you, if you uh, save your money or, you know, don't give it to the church or, you know, everything should be give, everything given to the church. So I gave everything I had and it wasn't much. I didn't have much to begin with. I was a kid, but um, so I was struggling and, I, my, the little car that I had broke down after I, well, the first car I wrecked because I fell asleep driving, leaving the church one night on a Saturday (laughs) and it was uh, completely totaled. Then I got another car that I bought with the insurance money. That thing broke down. Then I got a scooter with the little bit of money that I had left. So I was driving this scooter around to make sure that I could figure out how to keep the Sabbath. And then that got stolen out of the church parking lot because it's in a bad part of of Maryland. (laughs) So I was like walking and on this bike and all this stuff. And I was praying to God, like, please let me have a way out and writing letters to mother about like, you know, help me. 
I don't want to die spiritually by, you know, because they also teach that everything in your physical life is a, is a shadow of your spiritual life. So I felt like there was something wrong with me because I was struggling. And um, anyway, this, this is relevant. I promise. Because when I, um, Oh yeah, totally. No, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm getting like frustrated, like not with you oh. obviously, but with the story, because I know that it was stolen because they wouldn't let you bring it inside. You couldn't like right. keep your scooter inside. You had to keep it outside because they're so precious, you know, they, you know, precious. You can't bring that in here. And then right. um, the fact that they're the ones who caused all this chaos in your life. And when your mm -hmm. life crumbles, mm -hmm. then they make you feel guilty about it. Like yeah. it's yeah. your fault because of something you did in the spiritual world. So yeah. it's like this it's insult to injury. Right. Yeah. So right. you need to give more to the church because you know, your life's so bad. You have to forget more about the physical life and then your physical life's gonna crumble more and it's just like this vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm sorry, like, you know, it just, I, I could see what kind of bad situation you were in and I'm just empathizing, <laughs> but uh, please go on. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was uh, actually at a point where I, I ended up coming to my roommate, one of them. I lived with seven at the time in a two bedroom apartment. Um, and, but I still couldn't pay my little portion of rent. Like I knew I wasn't gonna have enough because it was like I didn't have enough for food. I didn't I didn't even have a cell phone at the time. I had I like like everything I had lost because I was so broke. So I told her like I'm really sorry. I'm I'm not going to be able to pay the full amount of rent. So she went and told John Casas and then he had this whole dorm room meeting where he called all the sisters that I lived with into a conference room and rebuked me about like how my physical life is a mess and it's causing everybody else problems and my spiritual life is a mess. And then he took everything away from me. I wasn't allowed to teach. I wasn't allowed to be in choir anymore. I was like removed from all the little blessings that I had in Maryland at the time. And then he said, nobody help her. Don't give her rides home. Don't give her rides to the church. She's on her own, you know, like that. And, um, and that was devastating. I was petrified because I was like, oh my God, I can't even, you know, so I had to figure out how to get to the church. So I was, I had a bicycle. I rode a bicycle. I walked one day for like two hours because I wasn't close. Um, and then I got the scooter because nobody would give me rides. They weren't allowed to. So people would see me walking on the street and not pick me up because they were told not to, um, which was really hard. <laughs> So Love had, overflows in Zion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sacrifices needed to be a greater vessel is what I was trying to tell myself in my brain. <laughs> but um, anyway, I had these three jobs at this mall. Um, I was working from like open to close at uh, Arundel Mills Mall, that big outlet mall you know well of. Um, and then one day on a third day, I guess I had been proving myself, whatever. And John Casas brought me into the office and was like, we think it's time for you to get married. And I was like, what? Like I had no, I was not thinking about that at all. I was trying to stay alive. And uh, the brother that he presented me with was, I didn't get options. Um, females don't usually get very many options in the church. <laughs> it's more like the males get options. Like you can pick um, depending on your situation anyway. Um, and he was like, he has a lot of money. Um, you'll be financially stable and you guys can get a lot of blessings because, you know, you're both white 
you're both like he knows the studies you know the studies you take care of the sisters you guys can go start a house church because he's really financially stable and by going with him you can be financially stable and now you can focus on the gospel work more and this is a great blessing and blah 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 and um inside i was like sure yes <laughs> because what did they tell you about marriage like what did they tell you any, that there's a benefit to it just blessings or, or just like, blessings. Yeah, like like you'll get you'll be blessed, you can start a house church. Um and then also like I would be financially stable. Like he knew my situation. He knew it wasn't a secret that I was absolutely struggling. Um and you're presenting me with this one member that everybody knew made the most money in the church. It wasn't a secret. They just kind of joke about it because um he was the one that had like the highest paychecks at the time, which I look at it now I'm like it really wasn't that much. <laughs> <laughs> but because we all were like so poor, like it, it was a lot. like it. Yeah, it, it was a lot. Like it. Okay. Mm -hmm. He was fine. He was well off, you know, and um and I saw it as a way out too. Like I saw it as obviously, yes, it's a blessing in my mind at the time. Mm -hmm. And then it was a way out of this, like by American standards, it was poverty. I'm not I'm not even being dramatic. Like <laughs> You, you know, you don't think about that in, in America, like in the U.S., like poverty, really? No, really, like by American standards, I had nothing. I had nothing. I couldn't pay rent. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a car. I was walking. I could barely afford food. I was only eating in the church. Like it was just, so here I am, you know, presented with this. And I just said, yes, sure. And he was like, are you sure? And I was like, y yeah, you know, what, what you also, I was in that mindset where you don't say no to God. Like, of yes. course, John was not God, but he's a prophet. Father and mother put him there. Father and mother guide the church. Father and mother pr control everything. So if I say no, I'm saying no to a blessing. I'm saying no to God's will. I'm saying no to this gift, you know, because they teach you also, like, Marriage is like a gift of God, you know, you get a suitable helper, you know, this and that. But inside I was like, I I do not want to marry this guy. Like, I don't even like him. I don't even think he's, I don't even think he's cute. Like, <laughs> being real. Like, um, I remember even they, they wanted to have this little like wedding thing. And I did not, I was not interested in that. I did not want to wear a dress. I did not want to have a thing, but John Casas had insisted on it. He's like, you're going to wish you had pictures later, blah, blah, blah. I know it was just a show now, but because I've never even seen those pictures. <laughs> never even got the pictures. Like, so they just it. pictures they wanted to send to Korea or something to show? Or I still don't know why. I think... I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. But he insisted on it and made us do this little ceremony. And we had it in one of the rooms um, in the hallway. And I had to wear this stupid dress. And all the, it was only the group leaders that were allowed because it's another thing. The weddings are so secretive. Like, you know, <laughs> you don't really know that they're happening. You just show up one day and they're like, hey, somebody's getting married. Come in here and be a witness. Or, hey, someone's getting married. Here's a wedding. Just sit down and pray. You know, <laughs> like, and you're like, yeah. all right. So it was like kind of that. And um, I remember being waiting outside of the room with a deacon um he was walking me down the aisle and i remember like shaking holding on to him and being like if i just run out the back what will happen <laughs> sorry
rehashing the the memories. I'm, I'm, I'm just, yeah. Sorry. Like, if you want if you want to move on past this part, it's okay. No, it's okay. I'm just um. I wanted to run out the back door. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like, will they kick me out? He was like, yeah, you'll get kicked out if you just run away right now and ruin this. And I was like, okay. And then I just sucked it up and walked in. But I, I remember I couldn't even close my eyes for the prayer. I don't know what the heck he said. I don't know what was happening. I was just standing there with the flowers, like shaking because I did not want to do it was it was awful um i didn't want to do a beautiful it. wedding <laughs> yeah so beautiful <laughs> no it so it, I, I know it's 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 definitely like being forced into it i'm so sorry that you had that that situation yeah can't imagine so so mm-hmm. what i guess like your family um i don't know like what was their perspective on this um they didn't really know i i kind of randomly threw it on my mom at one point um i really cut my parents off my whole family off pretty early on and um so i would rarely give them very much information about my life at all like maybe my address sometimes um and i randomly sprung it on one of my parents i actually have that's another side thing I want to get into, but my family dynamic is a little different. It's not really accepted by the church because I was raised by two women. And, um, I sprung this marriage thing on to one of my parents and, uh, she was like, what? You're getting married? And I was like, yep. Like just super, (laughs) um, but to this day, like now we speak and now we have a relationship. She's like, I didn't think it was real. Like, I thought you were just, I thought it was just like for show so that you guys could start a church or something. I didn't know it was like on page. Like you guys were really, she's like, I didn't know what to think. I had no idea if you were just, she's like, I didn't want to say anything to upset you, but she didn't, I didn't tell her anything about it. She, I think she met him one time. Um, and she didn't come to, she, I didn't tell her that there was a wedding. It was very very estranged we were very estranged for a very long time um so she just kind of that early you said you cut them off kind of early was that a result of them kind of giving some initial pushback in the beginning Mm -hmm. stages so you just kind of yes cut them loose okay and at one point it got so bad that um i didn't speak to my parents for six years like at all nothing not no text no call just silence okay yeah so it was really honest no they definitely have a way to one separate you from family in general but i'm sure once learning about the dynamic of your home life Mm -hmm. uh they were less accepting um I, I I do know that you um you did also mention at one point about trying to have your mom come to uh to the church mm-hmm. and to keep a, a Passover or something like that. Um what was their reaction when you were trying to because everybody like their dream is to bring their family into the church. 
Yeah. I know like for me, every single opportunity I could try to bring a family member to the church, uh, a sibling, um, my mom or, you know, a cousin, I tried everything to get everyone like I was related to, to come because you feel like if you don't, you know, you're, you're leaving them to be condemned to hell mm-hmm. so in your heart. If you love this person, the best thing you can do is bring them into this, ultimately a cult, but they bring them into this group. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure, you know, your love for your, your moms, like you wanted to do that, mm-hmm. but what was your experience with uh, that concept? So early on when I brought my, one of my parents, one of my moms, um, she actually got baptized um, early, early on. And I think that they allowed that, because they wanted to like encourage me mm-hmm. or like keep me in a little bit more. Um, and she kept, I think like one Passover after that. And then later on when I moved to New Windsor, I Passover was coming up and I wanted her to come. I wanted both my parents to come. The other one is was very resistant from the beginning. So I never really got very far with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's going to watch this later and be like, mm-hmm, it's a cult. <laughs> 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 but um, my, um, I wanted to invite her, and I also I missed my parents a lot, um, and so I went. But there was an announcement that year about like anyone. It was like extra strict or something because you know they give different um, different rules each year. Yeah, every year is different rules, so you have to like pray for a merciful year, I guess. <laughs> and um, that year it was like anybody who's sexually immoral or homosexual or doing drugs or whatever they're not allowed to keep the passover whatever so i went to pastor's office annually directly because my mom had already been baptized years before so she already was like at least had that criteria that you needed in order to keep it and i went to him and i was like am i allowed to invite my mom to keep the passover and he was like why and i was like what do you mean? Why? <laughs> like she was baptized. Can, can she keep it? And he was like, no, she's gay. And I was like, okay. Uh, well, they're not really like, I tried to like, try to like explain the dynamic. And he was like, no, no, they still live like that. They need to stop. They need to fix their life before they can come to God. And you should just don't waste your time, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. You know, and it, and, and I started to like tear up because it's my family, you know, like I don't like you're hearing this from your pastor and it's, it's really like a, you have to like deny this emotion and this connection that you have to your own parents. It's very difficult to deal with and um, missing them too in the same, same breath of it all. And he was like, that's why you have to do the gospel work hard so that in the end, God can have mercy on them and they won't go to hell. They'll just disappear and die without suffering in hell. If you do, that's why you have to stay. And like, so that was another factor in my mind. Like if I just stay strong, if I just do this, if I just, if I can, yeah, if I can make it, then it will save them. You know, like, even though it sucks now, like that type of mentality, but yeah, I was definitely told that I couldn't invite her one year because because of the way she lived her life. And that was really difficult because I'd always been a very accepting person. I don't, I grew up that way. It was normal to me. It was my family. So 
it was uh it was a little rough that was really rough especially i think um you were you were in a leadership role i, I think kind of early on um mm -hmm. too from your time there i know that you you know one you were living with in the sisters dorm is what they would call dorm because your home is the church so yeah. that's just where you sleep that's why they would call it a dorm mm -hmm. uh, i don't think everybody had that uh terminology but um we we did on the east coast for sure but mm -hmm. um so being allowed to be in there was one a good good sign where they thought you were with your faith but then they arranged you in a marriage um and then the next step was for you to become a house church leader. Mm -hmm. uh, did that happen directly after marriage? Was it like some time after? What was the uh, the next step for you? Uh, okay, so we, I had left a dorm and moved in with my husband. It's hard to even say that word because it's just. <laughs> um, and we moved in together, and I was just not comfortable. Um, we didn't we didn't go into a house church right away. We were living in his apartment and, um, well, sort of, I, it was just, I'm going to get candid here so that people can understand what it's kind of like for everybody. But, um, I slept on the floor in the living room because I just could not, it just did not, it was a very uncomfortable situation for me. I did not know this person. I didn't want to be with this person. I was immediately unhappy. I was, I didn't even want to walk down the aisle. So I definitely wasn't happy being living with this guy. Um, so, and we were struggling because neither one of us really liked each other. <laughs> it was very challenging. And then um, overseers changed. John Casas left and George Carrera came. And uh, right when he came, he was like, you're going to go start a house church. And I was like, but we're not really um, in sync here. Like, I don't think that's the best idea for members. And uh, he was like, no, no, you guys will, you guys will do fine. You'll learn how to do it because my husband at the time had funds to be able to go to a little bit more wealthier parts of Maryland because we were in Glen Birdie, Glen Birdie, which we call Glen Dirty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, it's not the best part of town. So they wanted to branch out into like Gaithersburg and Bethesda area, which is a little bit nicer and we could afford a house out there. So they pushed us into a house church. Um, the first house, house church in Gaithersburg, which was another oh, challenging situation. Um, being in a marriage that's very new, that was arranged, that, fighting all the time and then fighting with the other leaders. It's just, a, it, it was rough. And you have all this pressure of bearing fruit and starting and, you know, doing all this and you're, and you have to take care of the church all by yourself financially. There's no help from the main church. Like we're paying the rent, we're paying the electric, we're paying the water, we're paying the, the food and the whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything. It's like you are supporting the church by yourself. And, um, all the offerings that are made get taken back to the temple. So you're not even getting, <laughs> um, so it was, a, it was even more stress added onto that relationship. And I was miserable. That's like, I don't even know how to express it in words. <laughs> it was, it was well, a, well, that mission didn't last, last forever. Um, no. When, when did it end your time at a house church? What were the reasons behind that? Um, two, so 2015, 
um, early on in 2015, uh, my husband at the time, he was like struggling with his faith. <laughs> Actually, it was great. He got out way before me. <laughs> but um, he was struggling with his faith. He was having a hard time with the money situation because he saw how much of his money was going to the church. And he was a numbers guy, uh, really like meticulous with detail and all that other yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. Just that kind of thinker. And um, <clears throat> he didn't want to tithe anymore. <laughs> he was like, I'm giving all this money every week. And I there's all this money is going out from the house church. And he just was slowly kind of checking out. And then the overseers changed again. Arcesio, um, Elder oh. AC. He came in and like within a couple of days, he brought me into his office. He's like, what's the deal with your husband? And I was like, I don't even what husband, like, what are you talking about? Like, we're not even <laughs> like, I sleep on a, I sleep on the floor in the corner of the room. Like I, we're not even a thing. <laughs> and uh, he was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, like, this is not a thing. Like we're just existing in the same space. And he was like, we'll divorce him. And he's not tithing anyway. He doesn't even want to come to church anymore. I was like, I can do that. He was like, yeah, it's other people get divorced sometimes. I'm like, yeah, well, I know that. But does that mean it's right? Is that OK? You know, like I didn't ever want to ask or um, try to get out of the situation because I felt like, you know, I'm a sinner. I deserve this, that type of mentality, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is awful when you think about it. Um, and he was like, yeah, no. And pastor wants you up in New Windsor anyway, because you're a gospel worker and you can do so many things up there. And he's like, just divorce him and leave. And I was like bounce so i like within a week because i had been wanting out since day one and i saw it as like this salvation you know and i i within a week i packed up my car and i drove with whatever could fit in my car and i went up to new windsor elder ac helped me bring a bed up but that was about it yeah it sounded pretty more pragmatic than anything because mm -hmm. one was a house church being successful with uh new members no Okay, so you're not bringing in new members. Right. You got this guy who's dragging you down, mm -hmm. and you're still like, you know, before you get, you know, brought down by the situation, I think that mm -hmm. they're trying to separate you, salvage the one, yes. and then kind of separate it and, you know, allow you to leave. So I think that it was more like, less like let's make Corey happy and more like let's retain this oh, yeah. one person and separate her from this situation and just deal with this other situation independently. Mm -hmm. It was uh, just a continuation of the business strategy that it was when it started. Yep. When they instigated the marriage in the first place, it was just a business strategy. And, mm -hmm. and now that idea didn't prove to be fruitful. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they, I mean, divorce who cares if, if the if divorce is going to potentially lead to, uh, you know, no. more productivity and getting more money from this person, yep. then who cares? What I what I do wonder is, do you, you you knew him probably closer than most people because of the the nature that one you live with him, you know, I, I it's hard to even call it a marriage, but uh, the situation was you live with him. When he was leaving, when he was departing, I know that you were mentioned that it was about the money that mm -hmm. was the cause. Is that the church's spin on it? Or was that just the result of him 
checking out for other reasons first? Like um, what, what came first, you know, out of those, was it like the money and then all of a sudden he started to find the fault or was it, he started to find the fault and now he's worried about the money. No, actually for him, it really was money. Okay. <laughs> yeah. His, his issue really was money. Like he was just really, um, he, he was a credit analyst analyst anyway, by like his profession. Mm -hmm. So then he's analyzing his own and he's like, I'm putting all this money in, but like for what? I never really knew if he had issues with the doctrine because honestly, we never spoke. Like we did not, yeah. we did not okay. connect on a deeper level at all like <laughs> okay so it was really just him telling you like mm -hmm. i'm not gonna do this anymore because i mean anyone who could sit down with like a pen and paper and do a little bit of basic math can see that there's something fishy happening right with with the numbers mm -hmm. so um you know do yeah you uh, uh, rent and electric don't cost that much especially when you're everyone's giving for food everyone's paying and covering everything Mm -hmm. everyone's you know giving extra for the mortgage everyone's giving extra for the it, it does the numbers don't don't work out right but and do anyway, you have now um, do you have any idea uh, general idea of what numbers wise what was coming out of his uh bank account on a weekly monthly basis i mean do you have a ballpark just i mean even just for people i think that might be helpful for people to kind of grasp what it what what tithing looks like for for a person why so many people like yourself end up in such uh terrible uh financial situations so he his tithe it so we have to do 10 percent of gross income his tithe every two weeks was like 400 something um so that's a lot of money every two weeks that's like 800 bucks almost you know just in the tithing and then you have to do the offerings and then you got to do the rent for the house which was our portion was like 1900 or something and um because it was like 2400 dollar rent i this is me remembering from like nine oh, years ago so <laughs> there's a helper couple living with you guys and it wasn't yeah. split 50 50 no it wasn't it was split 600 for them and then like Three yeah. times enough for you. Yes, yeah, because we could afford it, you know, quote unquote. Yeah, because they they like to tell you what you can what you can well, afford. Yes, yeah, and then you know we have two cars, and then we have we have you got the food, and then the everything, and then we were expected to give like special offerings at the church. I remember one time we retiled the whole fellowship room, and it came out of my husband's thing because they asked, you know, like like. We, they knew that we had the most money. So I think we dropped like, we would drop like a couple thousand here and there on random construction needs. I know that when we first got married, um, he had like somewhere close to like $50,000 in a, in a savings account. And that was gone by the time before we even divorced, like long before. So he was just pretty, uncomfortable with how much money like his saving like just this was just within a couple years it wasn't and that's the savings on top of his paychecks and all that so i look back now and i can see how stressed out he was and knowing what kind of mindset he is as a human being in general like regardless of our non-compatibility <laughs> um i can understand you know how distressing that was for somebody like that who's very analytical um and it got to him. It, if he had other issues 
I would have honestly, I would have no idea because we just did not. We, nope. We, well, yeah. at least after after you know AC came, mm-hmm. you guys separated, and you went to New Windsor to live happily ever after, right? Ah, uh, no, it got worse. You missed it on the floor. Get worse. <laughs> It can get it can, worse. It can get worse, Jordan. It, and it <laughs> wow. does. I thought I was so excited to go to New Windsor because this is like, you know, that's like the gospel worker training ground. Yeah. And describe what New Windsor is. Describe this facility. Okay. So New Windsor is like the headquarters of the East Coast. Um, Daniel Lee would like to say of our hemisphere. <laughs> <'Cause> he, <laughs> um, but anyway. It's like the main church. It's it's on forty two acres. There's three large buildings. It's like a campus kind of. Um, it it's huge. It's a beautiful property. There's a pond. There's everything, and um, that's the main headquarters in the U.S. Basically, um, does Daniel Lee like preside over New Windsor? Yes, mm-hmm. okay. that's his main. That's his church. Um, he okay. lives there too. So on like in the church. Um. So anyway, it's like seen as this gospel worker training ground. Like everybody saw it as like only the elite go to New Windsor. Like you go there and you're trained like military and then you go out as like these gospel warriors to be sent out into the in into the world, like wherever you're gonna do like this the next house church. So you go there so you can learn and study and become this great gospel worker. So I was excited. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go get missions and blessings and this and that. And um, I went up there and I got a wake up call. (laughs) It's very, very, very different. Even by um, members standards, people, it's like kind of, it's well known that New Windsor is very intense. Uh, A lot of people don't even want to go there. Like, especially like as that their church to attend because they know it's really, really, it's very militant. Um, it's very separate, separated. Like the, it's, you get away from that little house church feel like where the members are a little bit more closer and there's a little bit more love and like, (laughs) I don't know about love the word, but (laughs) we're a little bit more close, um, Mm. in the other churches, whereas New Windsor, it's business. Like it's pretty cutthroat. It's like, (laughs) Honestly, that's like the terminology I would use because um, there's a lot of reporting. Uh, it's it's pretty toxic environment, honestly. Um, so to be thrust in there, I got a little bit of a culture shock as well. And things did just get worse. <laughs> well, what was the, uh, the next step? I know that... Um... On the topic of arranged marriages, the situation that you had faced um, and the fact that you just got out of this um, situation, wasn't there um, a a story or a situation that you had regarding a survey? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was in New Windsor. Um, So we had had this survey sent around in New Windsor once in the sanctuary. Daniel Lee came down from the altar after service one day and he started going on about this survey and how people are talking about about the church so we're gonna do this survey and you have to answer it truthfully if you lie god will know like you know really drilling in the fear 
And then he, he's like, it's got to be anonymous. You can't put your name on it. And you have to be honest because this is, this is, this is before God. So we passed out this survey and then they had all the group leaders stand at the doors and like block the ex- exits. So you couldn't leave until you filled out the survey and gave it to them. Then you could exit and you can't leave with the survey. So it was like all these questions about like, when you joined the church, were you told to quit school um, or did you quit on your own? Were you ever in an arranged marriage? Um, were you, did you ever get divorced? What's your greatest level of education? Um, did you ever get an abortion? Did the church ever tell you to get an abortion? Uh, like all this, all the questions that are, now I look at it and I'm like, is this like a witness question list? <laughs> But it it felt it like it was like all these questions and he was like, be honest, be honest. So it I don't know why um, I did this because there were other questions that I should have answered in a different way. But for whatever reason, the arranged marriage question, I said, yes, I was in an arranged marriage because I was. To me, I was arranged. I did not know this person. John Custis put me with him. And to me, that is an arrangement. I was not. But only by definition. yeah so so i i just i was like okay i gotta be honest like i'm not trying to be i'm not answering this maliciously i'm just being honest like this is what it is yeah yeah and the other ones i said no to but i should have said yes in certain instances but i just for whatever reason the marriage thing i just said yes and then we had second service and second service was scary and then right after second service i found out why so Daniel Lee came down and he started screaming at everybody, like, just like, oh, we have spies in Zion, blah, blah, blah. Like, somebody said that they had an arranged marriage and blah, blah, blah. Who did it? Stand up right now. Who said that? You know, who's a spy? Like, just going in and I started trembling because I was like, oh, my God, it's I said that. But I didn't, I'm not a spy. Like, I'm not, I wasn't being malicious. Like, I wasn't trying to, like criticize the church right. like yeah. i just i wasn't saying like yeah i was and i hated it like i am now <laughs> yeah but <laughs> Go ahead. we yeah we, we have arranged marriages and we eat kimchi like it's just one of the facts of life over yeah, that was, honestly but, that was how my i was like innocently answering it like that and he was like he was like you stand up you know like and and i i was i was petrified i couldn't i couldn't so he was pissed because nobody really came forward to ad- admit to it but i ran right to his office once he left sobbing and i was like i said to rebecca missionary rebecca she's like the admin late person there and i was like i need to talk to pastor and she was like okay and i ran back and i was like it was me i said it. like i just confessed like sobbing like i said it and he was like what you why and i was like i really like i tried to desperately like explain like I really didn't mean it like that. I just, it was arranged. And then he even asked me, who put you with him? And I was like, John Casas. And he was like, John Casas. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I didn't know what that meant, but that was yeah. the, and I was like, I'll change it. I'll change my answer. Give me the, give me the survey again. I'll like, I'll redo it. Like I was scared. Like I thought he was going to kick me out, you know, but it was just a. Didn't they give everybody the survey a second time? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I was there. I I was I was there for that too. And yeah. I also answered 
Uh, yes, <laughs> I was I was going through um, some ups and downs in my marriage too. So oh, okay. Absolutely. And one of the questions was about uh, whether or not you're um, you separated from your family. Oh yeah, uh, if that was the church caused you to separate, or have you separated from your family since joining the church? I'm like, yes, but not because of the church. But yes, you know, we grew apart. You know, I wrote like a little note, and That's I remember I Victor. Um, trying to prep us for the second round of surveys and basically saying, Oh, well, you know, one person wrote this and some people think, Oh, they arranged my marriage. Like, yes, we went to the church. So they tried to like, yeah. Re explain it. it. And mm -hmm. yeah, I remember I was there for that. And, um, <laughs> uh, so you were the one who, who, yeah. <laughs> who went and confessed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> I spy. made it worse. For <laughs> Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think that that's probably like the worst thing that you've experienced in New Windsor. Mm -hmm. um, I do know that you actually, I did want to backtrack with one thing, um, mm -hmm. about your time over in, uh, in Maryland. One of the things that, you know, a lot of people do want to bring up is the treatment of children, mm. uh, in the churches. Um, I know, um, that, you probably didn't have this mission in New Windsor, but um, I believe that you had stated that you were part of a, a kids room in yes. Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, if you could kind of talk about the situations that you've experienced while in the kids room, um, because it, it is a topic that's very near and dear to a lot of people, um, especially who have kids and, you know, the kind of environment that they're bringing their children into. Um, mm -hmm. If you could give like a little bit of, behind the scenes of uh, some of the things that you've witnessed and experienced? Sure. So um, I took care of the kids in Maryland for like a year, maybe, maybe a little less than a year. And they were the older kids. Um, but before I get into that, I want to, I'd want to touch base on some things that I witnessed in general, um, especially during like baptisms. Um, the children in the church of God are, when they're little, it's almost like, this is my opinion. They're, it's almost like they're seen as like less than a member. Like they're just because the their parents are often told that your child can be your idol. You know, like if you don't, <laughs> if, if, if you don't discipline your child, like I've heard in services about like physical discipline and um, I've witnessed physical discipline done by the church leader's wife to little children. What does that mean? Physical discipline, like hitting, hitting, pinching. Um, I've seen her put w one little boy in the closet for like punishment or put hot sauce in his mouth. Like not her children, somebody else's children, even your own children. That's wrong. <laughs> but, um, and baptisms can be so unnecessarily aggressive and violent even, there was one specific one that I remember in the house churches way back in 2010. Um, this girl brought her young baby. She was probably like two or three. Maybe she didn't speak yet. And um, she got baptized. <clears throat> and then it was time to keep the Passover. So for those who don't know, the way the ceremony is, is you get baptized first. And then immediately after, you have this other second ceremony of the Passover, which is bread and wine. And then there's like a prayer. And then they put all your information in what they call the book of life. So anyway, this little girl was now in the room for Passover and 
she did not want to keep it. She didn't want to eat the bread. She didn't want to drink the wine. She didn't not. She started freaking out. And um, John Cuss's wife picked up the the bread and like shoved it in her mouth and pushed it down her throat and then held her nose and her mouth closed so that she would be forced to swallow it. And it was, I, I remember being so uncomfortable. This was like when I was newish in the church, you know, like I hadn't been in the church for a year yet, maybe. And I was like, I feel like I'm watching a crime. Like the way that the little girl was freaking out. She was obviously did not want to eat this. And this woman is literally holding her mouth and nose closed so that she'll swallow it. And um, it was horrific to watch because she's like screaming and like kicking and the mother is holding her down. And Viviana's like, they're pushing it in her throat and then she stops and lets her like swallow it but the little girl threw it up on the table because she was yeah like she was so distressed the little girl just threw it up on the table and Viviana was pissed so she picked it up out of the vomit and pushed it back in her mouth and shoved it in her throat like with her fingers it was the worst thing I have and I've seen that a couple times in like baptisms where children do not want to eat the bread and wine and they will eat it like what was the mother's reaction was the mother like a, a member who was there for a while or what was the no she was kind of she was new she and she never she didn't stay either she left um like she didn't anywhere after that no I, she didn't remain very long in the church but um i was terrified like just watching it it was but the mother was just kind of standing there you know she had she had the girl in her lap and viviana was just making this happen and the little girl eventually ate it but it was it was terrible to watch and i've witnessed a few like that um and that's just baptism i've heard some other stories during actual passover you know like the children will eat the bread and wine like there is no exception like even if they don't eat it the parent has to eat it even if they threw it up like it's disgusting but um that is definitely a practice i've seen it uh I would classify that as abuse in my own personal opinion. And then the way that the children are disciplined, um, I've seen them be pinched and pushed and slapped. And Viviana once took, I was sitting in the back of the pew, back, back of the sanctuary in Maryland. And this one little boy was just acting up. And she like shoved him down on the ground in the pew underneath her, in front of her and put her foot on his head and held his head down on the, on the carpet under the pew and was just like like telling them to be quiet and i was sitting next to her and i was like i was like deaconess like she was a deacon she was like he's fine and i was like like i to this day i feel so guilty because i i like watched it like i couldn't but you don't what can you it's hard for me to even verbalize now like um i feel so guilty like knowing that I watched these things happen and didn't stop it, didn't like intervene. And I, I know people will probably, ju probably judge watching this, but I, I can't express how, what the kind of, the kind of mindset that you're just under, like you just don't go against the leadership. You just see it as law. Like, I don't, 
I don't know how to explain you know, that. Maybe you it's hard to stand up. It's hard to, to speak out because look what happened for you. Even answering a survey, you got screamed mm -hmm. at. Yeah, you got made to feel like mm -hmm. you know this big because mm -hmm. you answered a question in a survey correctly. Imagine if you try to correct a leader. You know, you, you go against a deaconess who's mm -hmm. you know put there as you're told by God. You know, mm -hmm. it's. If you do that, you're speaking against God. And if you speak against yeah. God, what's the situation? You're spiritually right. corrupt. I mean, wasn't there a time where you actually did speak up yes. about a child, about yeah. something with a child? And mm -hmm. what was the result of that? <laughs> and so, real quick, before before you do that, the, the woman who was holding the child's head down and the one who force fed the bread, was this the same yes. woman? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and she is you a know church she's leader. Still, yes, is she's she still, still in leadership. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, she's a uh, John Casas' wife. They're in Washington D.C. now. Okay. I'm hoping that they watch this and maybe they'll just think twice about like their behavior. But <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, she's definitely still there. Uh, so, yeah, eventually I was in the kids' room in. Maryland, but I took care of the older, we called it the big kids room. So there was, um, he was like, it was like maybe the youngest was like six or seven and the oldest was I think 14 at the time. And I took that so seriously because I didn't like the way that the kids were treated, you know, when they were little, obviously. So I felt like a sense of like responsibility to be, to make this environment be like, they would be happy to come to church and not scared. And like, we would do fun things and I would come up with these plans. And I loved these kids. Like I'm not a kid person, but I fell in love with these kids. And um, they were scared when they first, when I first got in there, like they wouldn't, some of them wouldn't look me in the eye. Like they were just afraid to ask a question or beaten to submission. <laughs> yeah, basically. <clears throat> and I could tell, like, I was like, these kids are traumatized. Like, it felt like that even then. So I started making these games and like these activities and putting on these little puppet show plays and reading books and like all this stuff that nobody else did. And I took it really seriously. And um, anyway, one incident, this was on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh it's a, that day, for those who don't know, is a day where everybody has to fast. Um, so it's not a full 24-hour fast that we usually do or a 72-hour because sometimes we do a one-day to a three-day fast. But on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's just until after the second service. And um, it's for those who also don't know, in WMSCOG, fasting is fasting. Like, no food, no water. I know there are some religions that you know, you can have tea or water or maybe even a banana. I've heard that before, <laughs> but in church of God, nothing. So children are fasting too. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, this is after the first service on unleavened bread, everybody's struggling and I'm sitting in the back of the pews. Um, we're watching passion of the Christ, of course, which is in a very emotionally charged movie and very graphic in with my the children? Person you're watching yes. it with the children yes my personal opinion i would not want my child watching that it's way too much it's literally murder like it's a, someone being murdered for hours <laughs> you're literally watching that so anyway that's my opinion but the kids were there the big kids and um there was one little brother next to me and then another one after him and he 
reached over to me and he was like, Sister Corey, I don't feel good. And I was like, I know. I was like, it's so, we're really close. Like right after second service, we'll get some water and food and you can take a nap. We'll, we'll hang out in the kid's room until your dad's ready to go. And he was like, okay. And then I'm sitting there too. I'm like, I know, man, me too. <laughs> and um, maybe like a couple seconds later, I look over and he's convulsing in the pew, like shaking, foaming at the mouth, rigid, falling down onto the floor into the pews. And I'm not a doctor, but it looked like a seizure in my point of view because he's convulsing. And so I started panicking, like I started freaking out and I'm like, I shouted in the middle of the sanctuary. I'm like, somebody help me. Somebody like help, help, help. He's, he's, some, he's having a seizure, you know? Um, everybody stood up, everybody freaked out. And one of the brothers pushed through all the pews, grabbed him. I kicked off my heels and I took off running to John Cuss's office. I'm banging on the door <clears throat> and I'm like, missionary, he was a missionary at the time. I'm like missionary, there's something wrong with, with the brother. And, um, he's he's like what and i'm like he's having a seizure like you have to call him like right now like i'm panicking did you wake we, him up it, probably because he came to the door really slow <laughs> and he, <laughs> he looked pissed that i had come to the door so frantic so frantic yeah, while well, everyone's watching passion he's taking a nap that's right that would be my guess that would be yeah, my guess that's my personal opinion also but <laughs> i digress <laughs> okay go on yeah so we run up to the sanctuary lobby and they had brought the little boy out on the on the um, couch out there and they had already given him some water and he was laying there kind of coming around a little bit and he's like what's the problem and I'm like he had a seizure missionary like he fell out and was like foaming at the mouth and and convulsing and he immediately turned to me and started screaming at me he's like are you a doctor can you diagnose everybody are you dr Corey mcclellan are you able to diagnose everybody like, just started ripping into me like i'm i all of a sudden was this target of, <laughs> of this situation and he started rebuking me like you you think that this is okay you acting like that causing a scene you have to remain calm as a leader you can't be doing this blah 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 if you act like that and cause panic and hysteria how will the other members faith be blah 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 he's not having a seizure he's fine he's just tired blah blah look he's fine he's not you know like all this other stuff and i just i was like i couldn't process what was happening like i know what i saw and so did everybody else but I'm getting in trouble for like alerting people. And by the way, this kid did not have a biological parent in the church ever. Like this child never had a biological parent in the church. Even his dad was not really his biological father and his mom was never a member. So I was just, and I don't, I'm also thinking like liability. Like what if something happens? The church is gonna, you know, like I'm thinking of other things too, of course, not just the little boy, but and I'm just looking at him like, is this happening? Like, I couldn't comprehend that I was getting in trouble for this situation. Trying and that help a child in need. So. Yeah. Like, why not? Why are you yelling at me instead of calling an ambulance? <laughs> like, or telling the father to take the son to an urgent care or something? Why are you? Why am I getting attacked? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't process it. I, but I was used to getting yelled at by him because he would, he's known for screaming for yeah, really. No, I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not an easy person. Uh, no. So 
Yeah, no, I could definitely see why um, you would have hesitated to try to say anything to the the woman who the deaconess who had mm -hmm. her um, who was abusing some of the kids because what happens if you would have spoke out? Mm -hmm. You witness a, a seizure and then you get gaslit and screamed at for it. So yeah. what else would happen? It's it's definitely I don't think anyone could really judge you on that situation. I don't think you have to. I hope not. <laughs> really, I mean, it, it's, you know, you're talking about the baptisms and I was somebody who was baptizing children and I know like how uncomfortable the child baptisms can be and how mm -hmm. like, you know, one of the things would be like, you tell the parent, like, don't feed the kid for a while before you bring them. Yeah. So they're really yeah. hungry. So they'll eat the bread and the wine. So sometimes the parents would show up and I'm like, I didn't feed my child for hours. Oh. <laughs> and you're like, wow, great faith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's definitely, um, I definitely understand that, you know, weird things had occurred uh, mm. over there. But um, let's, let's, uh, let's progress into, you know, the next chapter. Um, sure. Now you've moved into uh, New Windsor and you have a whole new, cast of characters that you're going to be working with. And, you know, I think from what I knew about you, cause I've, I've seen you, you've seen me mm -hmm. uh, before, you know, it's a small world. We never actually like really interacted much before, mm -hmm. but I saw you with a bunch of different missions. You were singing, you were, um, you're very involved with the music and you were very involved with um, an LRE exhibit, which is like the last reformation mm -hmm. uh, where they created a whole museum at the new Windsor uh, facility. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I've seen you around and I also had known that you were part of the, we love you foundation. So I think that you have a lot of great stuff to share on um, your next chapter in new Windsor. Uh, tell us about some of the, the stories that you had experienced, some of the, the things that you had gone through. I know that um, Ellery is one. I know that the um, being a member of different parts of New Windsor, but what, what are some of the things that really like stand out to you about your experience there? So um, pretty quickly on, I was um, recruited into bigger moving parts of the church. Um, I had gotten involved pretty quickly. I started taking over the uh, mission for the female lodging committee. So another thing in the church is that members are divided into committees to take care of the church um, because the church doesn't actually employ outside services for those who don't know that. <clears throat> like yard work done by the members for free. Cleaning done by the members for free. It's like basically free labor. It's great for the church. <laughs> But they tell us that we're getting paid in blessings, you know, spiritual blessings in heaven that we can cash in on after we get there. Um, but it, but really, it's just free labor. So anyway, I was taking care of the lodging committee and was really putting my heart and soul into it. And they noticed. And um, shortly after that, I started actually doing, working on, they kind of got me to, they saw that I was creative and was really into the music. I was always one of the ones who was performing Um I was always on a stage and put out to sing in front of people. That was another thing that was really challenging for me to eventually leave because I knew that so many people knew my face and knew who I was. And um, I just knew a lot of members. Uh, so that was really challenging for me because I didn't really want to be in the forefront, but I oftentimes found myself there. Um, 
anyway, so they recruited me in to start working on this other event that was called Then Now Forever. I don't know if you remember that one, <clears throat> but it was. It was with We Love You Foundation. Yeah. I remember it was at the NJ Peck. Yep. NJ Peck. And yeah. I, I went with, um, I, I was living in Pittsburgh at the time, but I had two New York City uh, friends that I worked with, like co workers. Oh, okay. And, you know, and I brought them, and then they both like just disappeared at intermission. <laughs> <laughs> they just ditched me. I, I, I drove an extra day to be able to pick them up, and at intermission, they're like, they didn't even say anything. They just like gave the Irish goodbye and. <laughs> Wow, that's funny. Go, go on. I'm sorry. No, okay. I know, it's I know okay. you work hard on it, but go no, on. It's, no, no, it's okay, really. <laughs> Good for them. They just left. They were like, this is weird. So um, anyway, it was weird. But anyway, it, it was weird because I it initially it started as a church event. Like it was supposed it had a whole different storyline. It was about, um, you know, we wanted to do something about preaching and mother's love and this and that and, you know, whatever. Um, then it slowly evolved into being, oh, let's do it for We Love You Foundation instead. Let's use it as this way to like kickstart the We Love You Foundation here in the U.S. And um, even though I'm this creative person and I can have this ability to like create and write and stuff, it's very much dictated by Daniel Lee. Like everything has to be like it was his idea. Like his thing is like, OK, I want to do this, this and this. You make it. You do it type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, not very often would I have like an original idea that was accepted. It would be more like, or I would try, but it would get shut down. You know, you, a lot of times you bring up your ideas and it's like, no, that's stupid or something. <laughs> you can't rebuke for it being dumb or whatever. And then he'll be like, no, I want it this way. And you can't really, uh, be like, that's a little weird, but anyway, we'll go with it. So he just had like this basic idea and then I had to fill in the pieces and, um, they ended up wanting to make the mother's love art gallery that was in Manhattan kind of turn into a play. Mm -hmm. So I started working on this play and it became like this two hour long show with dancing and singing and every kind of part of every media, you know, like that you can imagine like singing, dance, acting, choir, live orchestra, video, like all that stuff was uh, graphic arts. Like everything was included in this. Um, and it became like the show that we put on and we worked really, really hard on it. But it was very stressful because I became the point person. <clears throat> so I was the one that would have to go in and get all the approvals. And when I mean approvals, working with Daniel Lee is literally like you have to get approvals for like, what kind of font are we using? What color are we using? What does the set look like? What does the, what kind of, fabric are we using for the for the dancers what is the actual costume gonna look like you have to get the approval of every little detail it's not you're not free to like you can't just create something it has to be so i'd literally be having these meetings with the creative team and be like okay this is what we want to present to pastor and then you come with a list and like pastor we need your approval for this and this and this and he would go through it and pick apart whatever you're doing um, which is not a pleasant experience. I don't really know how to explain it. <laughs> no, go I think that sometimes he's going to disagree just to disagree, just to like show his authority. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. And a lot of times he'll like, 
he'll like say something and be like, no, we're going to do it like this. And you're like, all right. So then you go do it. And then you come back and he's like, who did this? This is crap. You know, like, this is terrible. And then you're like, uh, you told us to do it. No, I didn't. Like, just, and you're like, okay, no, no you didn't. I, I, and he, his, his, his uh, agenda, but he, he's just everywhere. So I'm sure even getting that time with him was challenging. Yeah. Like, get a yeah. chase him. Yeah, you got to chase him. And half the time he's like dismissing you in his off. Like he doesn't even really want to listen to you at that moment or like, and you're like, pastor, is it, is it okay if we use this kind of material for the, yeah, that's fine. Just, you know, like just barking at you. Basically it's, it's never a comfortable experience to go in his office. I was always afraid. I was always scared to like. It was always, you never knew how he's going to react because it could be the same thing. Mm-hmm. But one time he would react very positively and another time mm-hmm. very negatively. It kept you mm-hmm. on guard because you never knew when you were going to get corrected. Yeah. Like, you never knew if he was going to applaud you or like yell at you. <laughs> yeah. It's very like, uh, it keeps you off balance. And that's yes. actually one of the things that cults do is because you're oh. always trying to figure out whether or not like you're in a good place or a bad place. You never really know why you're being criticized or what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there, there was a recently like a, a clip of the documentary where they talked about that very thing about keeping you off balance so you never feel secure and you're always trying to work to be perfect. So that's sometimes it's intentional that, you know, they're random reactions to things. So you're working on this play and you're yeah. having a hard time and you're being micromanaged and. Yeah, it, uh, it, it then during the time I had, um, he had, he brought me into his office and offered me a job, which I was shocked about because I did not know that. I mean, I heard rumors of people kind of working for the church and this and that, but I wasn't really fully exposed to that world until this moment. And he brought me in the office. I think Rebecca Parker was there and Mary Ellis Ferreira. Um, I don't know if I can't remember. I can't recall if anyone else was there, but those two were definitely there. Um, they're both missionaries, female missionaries that I'm mentioning. Mm-hmm. And he offered me a job uh, at for the International We Love You Foundation, which was a big shock to me because, to my knowledge, nobody else had ever worked for the foundation. I didn't know it was, like, a legitimate thing. Even me, I didn't really fully understand what it was because as members, excuse me, as members, we are... Um, like one day, you know, you're, you can attest to this. You'll be sitting in service. And then afterwards, the announcement's going to be like, next Sunday, we're going to have a, we love you clean up. Everybody wear your, we love you shirts. And we're like, okay, yay. You know, you, I have no idea what that means. Like, okay, we love you. Let's go do a cleanup and put a different shirt on. And (laughs) that's literally how it would go. So I didn't even know it was like, I didn't really fully understand what it was. Um, I quickly found out because then I was put in, to this position of working for the foundation. And then I also quickly found out that there was no real job description for me um, other than make it work. And what, what, what qualifies as it working? Uh, make it make money. That's, that's what I quickly found out was the end all goal. So make profit from a nonprofit. Yes. Yes. hundred okay. percent. Um, (laughs) so it was basically like, make it successful and to Daniel Lee successful means millions of dollars. Um, I recall even being in multiple 
so everybody who sits on the board for the We Love You Foundation are all pastors and overseers. They're pastors now, but they're overseers. They're church leaders. They change it a little bit up in there, like who's actually on the paperwork and stuff, but they're all church leaders. Mm-hmm. So all these board me- board leader meetings or whatever um, would be me in pastor's office with all the overseers just basically ripping everything to shreds like what's going on you know like this is there's no money coming in at the, in the early days it was probably the it was the worst for me because they already had this um so basically what it meant was i became part of the tech team in a weird sense even though i wasn't on the video team i wasn't doing photography i wasn't involved in the websites but i was all of a sudden in the multimedia team it was called tech team back then um and there were all already members there who had been working on these missions for years that I didn't know about. And here I am, this young sister with no title, <laughs> coming in from Maryland, like out of left field, and I'm put in this crazy position. Like it's seen as like this great blessing. Like all of a sudden, I'm just this random it, to them. Like I'm just yeah, who this, is this, and why is yeah. she coming here and stealing this thing I wanted to do? Right, yeah, right. Yeah, so they maybe like that. Yeah, and they hated me, hated me. There was three of them specifically that I know actively worked to like try to get me taken down. I just it was the most toxic. I felt like I was in the medieval times, like <laughs> like constantly being thrown under the bus and told on i was being accused of things that were that had nothing that i had no idea were happening things were being kept from me intentionally like they wouldn't let me have passwords to emails or look at things they'd keep me out of meetings intentionally so that i wasn't there they'd go talk to pastor on their own without me there like they were specifically targeting me because they did not want me a part of it and i knew it and i knew that they knew that i knew it and I knew that the church knew that it was going on, but you have to be, you know, you have to be smiley and happy and you're working together and you have to keep the harmony and the peace. And I couldn't stick up for myself because I knew I was going to get kicked out of the mission. I didn't want to loot. So I was like juggling these crazy personalities of these people who were obsessed with controlling every, like everybody wanted to control it. Daniel Lee wanted to control it. The overseers wanted to control it. These members that were actually doing the work wanted to control it. And here I am put in in there. And then I become the one that everything is the my fault because I'm the one getting paid. Mm. So because I'm getting paid and I'm on the books, it's my fault. <laughs> no matter what is happening and no matter the other dynamic between who's actually working. Um, that was honestly miserable for me because I knew that they hated me. I, and it was just, I would cry Every day I was crying. I started getting sick. Um, I started gaining a lot of weight. I I was miserable working there. Like it was horrible. I didn't, and to the point where I eventually kind of had a meltdown in pastor's office one day in front of the two deaconesses and the deacon that were actively like giving me this horrible time. And I was, and I shouted, <laughs> I was like, do you guys hate me? Do you want me to leave? Do you want me out? Because I'll go. I'll just go back to Maryland. Is that what y'all want? Is that, you know, like, is this going to make you happy if I leave? Like, I was so upset. And um, from that moment, Daniel Lee made them back off because I think he saw that I was actually really seriously, hurt, like, 
not okay with this situation. I'm not really sure. Um, he didn't stick up for me in any kind of, any kind of sense. He just made them back off. So mm. ever since then, they kind of left me alone and um, <clears throat> let me just try to do my mission, which wasn't, it didn't matter whether they hated me or not. I was never going to succeed at that because it, it, he gives you these like asinine type of goals that just don't make sense. And eventually another deacon joined me. He started working with me. This was one of the deacons that actually hated me in the beginning. He oh, ended up. I know. Yeah. Yes. I, I love him dearly still to this day. I will keep his identity. <laughs> the members will know, but um, anyway, he started working for, with me and then he started realizing what I was going through. And he was like, oh my God, I had no idea it was like this. This is awful. <laughs> this is toxic. Like this is, what is happening? And I'm like, I tried to tell people, like I'm trying to tell you guys that there's something wrong, that the treatment is just like, there's, I'm so confused. Like one minute I'm told to do this and then I go do it and then I come back and then I get yelled at for doing it. And then I'm like, but that's what you wanted to do. It's like this round circle of chaos and and I'm also like worried that they're not filing things properly because they're not functioning as a real nonprofit and my name's on it. And I'm just, there's all these things that I was so stressed out about that I was literally losing hair. <laughs> wow. I was <laughs> that, that, that's so crazy what you just brought up because a lot of times they do keep their hands really clean. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard the stories about when they want a member to receive like you know to have an abortion or something like this they won't say it they'll tell somebody else to say it yes i and actually the same way now now they're doing shady things with a nonprofit organization but whose name is on it and who you're just following instructions but you know here you are with your name on the way that they're trying to operate a nonprofit yeah. as something beside a nonprofit so mm -hmm. I mean, you know, based on what I'm understanding of this, but that's, uh, that's really, you know, I think it was very deliberate that they had your name and they chose, you know, somebody from the U S to do it opposed to having Daniel Lee have his name on it, who's known as a president, mm -hmm. you know, he's giving speeches as a president, but you know, it's your name doing all the stuff, but you're just following directions. Yeah. So I thought that was, I think that's kind of, indicative of what yes. they were planning on and they um i remember once well once the um deacon was uh once he joined me um we started getting this so half of my battle was always trying to educate the board on what a nonprofit was and how it should function like i had so many powerpoints that i'd put together and be like look we can bring in money but you can't keep it you have to use it for the nonprofit and you have to use it for what you say you're going to use it for. That's the way a nonprofit works or people do not give you money. And I'd be like, and they, and Daniel Lee would be like, you have to go to all these corporations and get money, get money, get money. We, I remember I was literally given a goal to make a million dollars one year. <laughs> like, like Wilmer was told to make like $3 million or something. And I was told to make $1 million. And we both came out of there and we were like, what the hell? Like we literally were like, what like who's gonna first of all who on the planet is gonna just 
be like, sure, let me give you guys a million dollars. And because we would constantly go in there and be like, okay, we can go approach money, approach um, uh, businesses and corporations as a sponsor, but they have to sponsor something. There has to be a program. There has to be something that they can sponsor. They're not just going to be like, yes, Mr. Daniel. Do it as you will. Yeah, here's a here's a check for a million dollars. Amen. You know, like it does not work that way. And half of my battle would be trying to teach these grown men how a nonprofit works. And, you know, I'm just a sister. They never gave me a title. And I think they did that now on purpose when I look back because I was always a little bit feisty and like I wasn't really like a con like super obedient and controlled. Um and they could get away with kind of talking to me however they wanted to because I had no title. Uh, I felt like a doormat most of the time because also, as you can probably know, my personality, I'm bubbly and I'm laughing and I'm smiling, but that doesn't really reflect necessarily what I'm feeling, <clears throat> you know? So they felt like, oh, she's just, she's fine. She's just going to laugh and crack a joke. But I'd actually go home like sobbing and my hair's falling out, like type of thing. Um, but anyway, that's... I digress. So we're given these these crazy goals of these crazy amounts of money, and we're trying to tell them how to how to run a nonprofit. I'm constantly being compared to Mary Ellis because they'll probably come after me for this, but I don't care. <clears throat> Mary Ellis runs Big Shine for Daniel Lee. I don't know if we can put this in here. I'm going with it. So if you want to, I don't know, <laughs> but it Big just. Shine. Yeah, Big Shine is the company that Daniel Lee runs. It's his main company. Um, it's only employed by members. Uh, it's like a lighting company. And all the money that's made at Big Shine is for the church. The members are paid next to nothing, just like me. Um, like at the We Love You Foundation, you don't get paid hardly anything. And um, they work crazy hours, just like I did. I can't speak on too much of it because I never worked for Big Shine, but I can confirm it exists. I know people who work there. I know Mary Ellis runs it because I was always compared to her. <laughs> like, Mary Ellis made Big Shine like this. Why can't you do it like that with We Love You? And I'd be like, Pastor, like, it's too different. Like, that's a business. This is a nonprofit. Like, it doesn't function the same way. I I can't sell something. The only thing I can really sell if you're going to think about nonprofit world is the program, but we don't have programs. All we have is an idea. There are no real programs, you know, like an actual real. Now they started trying a little bit. I've noticed, I've seen the website, you know, they have these like tools for school packs on backs, something, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like they actually have some kind of little program now, which they can get, sponsorship for those things and it's starting they're starting to function a little bit more like a nonprofit these days that i notice um hopefully somebody saw my freaking powerpoints and like took some notes maybe that's why they did it. but um i was constantly but the early days were awful because i was constantly being torn apart by not doing enough and not being enough and i was getting sick like i had gotten honestly like very sick very ill i was always at one once it got really bad <clears throat> i had gained a lot of weight and um i was getting fevers and rashes on my hands and my feet and my tongue and my throat like blisters and um 
But I you hear- had a really good insurance policy with the We Love You Foundation, right? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I'm sure you had a great insurance? benefits package. <laughs> Oh yeah, great benefits package. <laughs> How was your bonus? <laughs> I, I, there were no bonuses, and I had no health insurance. It was not offered to me, and I got paid like nothing. Like I think it was like sixteen dollars an hour or something. And I was doing the work of like but you. You weren't working just forty hours. No, no, no. I was working like I'd be like eight, nine in the morning until like twelve, one in the morning every day, seven days a week. Like it. It wasn't. A but what about all that overtime if you were being paid by the hour? No, no overtime. <laughs> um, doesn't sound up the code. Nope, does not. It is not. Um, so, yeah, that was that was kind of what my life was like. And I was starting to get very sick. And I, I wasn't I was never like somebody to like be fake about anything that I was feeling. So I would tell my group leader, who was Rebecca, which is like. I guess in uh, non-WMS terms, that would be basically Daniel Lee's executive assistant, kind of. <clears throat> so she's like his right hand was always there doing everything. Um, she's the admin missionary, but she was also my group leader. So I would tell her and I'd be like, look, I'm, I'm like really sick. I'd try to disclose to her like all these things that I was going through and feeling. And um, so she knew all these things, but she just was like, oh, you know, just pray, blah, blah. you know, the same, <laughs> same yeah. type. Write a letter to mother. <laughs> yeah, write a letter let to mother. Daniel Lee read it. Yeah, let Daniel read your, read your letter. And at one point, Daniel Lee even spoke to me. He's like, I feel like you're dying. Like something's wrong with you spiritually. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just sick, Pastor. I don't I'm know. losing my hair. I'm gaining weight because of the stress. Yeah, I was so stressed out that I was honestly like, deteriorating like i just yeah you might have physically been dying no i i mean i really i was very sick i at one point i had a fever for like 20 days straight like it just would not go below 100 maybe 99 every once in a while and i have pictures like these horrible rashes on my hands and my feet and thinking that there was something terribly wrong with me and i didn't have money to go to the doctor i couldn't you know, I was starting to go in debt because I was like, I have to figure out what's wrong with me. So I started getting some tests done, but I'd have to put them on a credit card because I don't have the money for it. And I, MRI, I had to get an MRI. I had to, and that's really expensive for people who don't have health insurance. And um, it was it was horrible. And I was very sick. Now I know that I, I was diagnosed with uh, fibromyalgia. They thought I had lupus for a little while. So I had like an underlying issue that was coming out because of this stress. And um, it it was a horrible time. And then I started getting, I guess I'll bring this up. <clears throat> then I started getting um, ostracized and bullied because of what I looked like, because of my weight, um, which was a, which was actually my first breaking point in my time in the church after this particular situation that I'm starting to talk about right now was like the first time where I finally was like, something is really wrong. After all the stuff that I'd been through, after everything that I had given up and done, and then I started getting like openly publicly shamed because of my weight gain, which was very, very difficult for me to handle and to deal with, especially, I don't know if it's different for males, but for a female, for a male pastor to be 
publicly making fun of you, it's just not a good feeling. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Great Light Studios podcast. To find more information and resources or to watch our films, you can find links in the show notes of this episode. Thank you also to Burns Cornerstone Community Church and all the other monthly financial supporters who make it possible for me to do what I'm doing. If you are blessed by the resources produced through Great Light Studios and want to help support me in continuing to do all this, then you can find information about how to in the show notes of this episode. And also, would you consider leaving a five-star review on this podcast? Positive reviews go a long way in helping to get this content pushed out to more people. Thank you.